Welcome to the Made Possible by Podcast, where we have conversations around good with community-minded individuals. We hope that today's episode inspires you to go out and do good. Hello, and thank you for joining us again for another conversation around good. I am Tracy Zerden with Made Possible by. We say that we love to make good loud. We love to bring together, inspire, equip companies, causes, and people to do greater good together. And I'm so excited to share my guest with you today. I have Jonathan Stranger. And Jonathan, I've been trying to get Jonathan for months. And and very soon you'll understand why. It's hard to pin Jonathan down. But Jonathan Stranger is a chef and a restaurateur extraordinaire here in Oklahoma. Are you originally from Oklahoma? Yeah. Okay. Where did you grow up? Oklahoma City. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? Uh, well, I always say it's not uh, quality. It was quantity for me with schools. So I went to um, a couple Catholic schools and then uh, a couple not Catholic schools. And then I went to uh, military school in Missouri. And then I went to university in New York. Wow. So you just spread it out everywhere. Yeah. I had things to figure out. Let's just <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> we'll put it that way. completely okay. Yeah, I had ideas. It turns out. Needed more uh, working out. Needed more tweaking. Yep. Okay, there you go. So, Jonathan, like I said, is a chef. Where did you, you trained in New York? Yes. So, when I went to New York, that was uh, actually not the plan, is the best way of putting it. I needed a job because New York City was crazy expensive. And the only work I had done um, in high school here in Oklahoma was, ran, you know, dishwasher, prep guy or cook guy at a sandwich shop, you know, just being kids and... When I went to New York, they're like, you're going to need to have experience in anything. And the only thing I had was that. So um, I did that and got a job at this uh, great people. But it was this little jazz bar thing in Washington Square Park in New York City. And um, I guess did well and then ended up getting an opportunity to work at a, a much higher end restaurant. It was a Michelin three star restaurant. And I took that opportunity and uh, did well. Um, you know, in that, in that world of cooking, you do something what's called a stage. So or a stagiaire, which is basically work for free. Um, it's like, <laughs> it's what it breaks down to. It's, it's kind of like an incredibly long job interview. Okay. So I did that, ended up getting a placement there. I got the job and, uh, slowly but surely that kind of part of my life. Um, I never experienced dining in my life on that level and the level of it's more of a pageant and artistry than it is just a restaurant. So it's totally different. And um, I kind of fell in love with that. And uh, slowly but surely, university kind of became less important. That became more important. And then left university and went to culinary school. And that was kind of it. Kind of everywhere I moved, I tried to continually get that degree. Um, but between living in New York City, Europe, Houston, Texas, Oregon, Pacific Northwest, all over the place, when you, I was unaware that when you change schools, some credits transfer, don't transfer. So after about seven years, I was like, I think I'm good. I think I, I'm done. I think I'm done. I've got my own degree. Yeah. When I came back to Oklahoma, um, the University of Oklahoma wanted me to start with their basics. I guess it's required. And I was like, mm, I'm good. So that was, okay. I was like, I'm, I already own a business. Like, what? Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. So what were you going to study in New York? Uh, my first degree, or why I went, was uh, marine biology. What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I went to camp as a school in uh, California, which was a marine biology camp. 
I know I've always loved the ocean. Fishing yeah. and seafood still to this day my favorite thing to cook and eat. And uh, a lot of memories growing up. My maternal family was both in Long Island and New York and Oregon. So I spent a lot of time fishing in the ocean yeah. as a kid. So I was just always enthralled by it. But um, what I wanted to become was somewhere between Jacques Cousteau and Indiana Jones. And it turns <laughs> out that's not a real job. <laughs> that's, unless you have a massive trust fund, you're yes, not going to. You, no. you that's not a real job. Yeah. And so I switched over to uh, to business. Okay. Yeah. Well, then that helps some. Yeah, it, it yeah. worked out. It yeah. worked out, yeah. Okay. It was easier. Okay. Yeah. So you have several restaurants here in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. um, I2U. Yep. Osteria. Bar. And I'm going to try to say this right. Got, you got it. You got this. <laughs> Karate? No. <laughs> Chiquetti. Chiquetti. See, Bar Chiquetti. I, I didn't Correct. get it. Thank you for believing in me, but I did yeah, not get course. it. Chiquetti. And then because you were you had too much time on your hands, then you started Prairie Wolf Distillery. Yeah. So um, basically it started with like when I first moved back to Oklahoma, um, I actually, to be completely honest, I was I just left drug and alcohol treatment and we spoke about that a little bit before this and came back to Oklahoma to kind of get out of the industry. And it's not... The industry has a problem with drugs and alcohol, the service industry. And um, I succumbed to that. And a lot of it is um, mythicized. Oh, I'm so bad at English words. The it's not, it's not encouraged, but it's not looked against, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. It's almost this rock star mentality. And certain books like Kitchen Confidential and stuff have highlighted that. And unfortunately for me, it did not work out. Um, and my family, alcohol is addiction and mental health is a big issue in our family. So I succumbed to it. But anyway, decided to come back to Oklahoma to relax and work on a uh, small organic farm that a friend of my mother's yeah, um, was starting. So I did that and we were growing all this stuff and got really ambitious, shocker, and decided to start selling it to restaurants when no one would buy it. And it wasn't so much that it was local or cost, it was just they didn't know what to do. And that's when we saw the opportunity. So started um, my first restaurant um, here in Oklahoma City where we focused highly on that and then... Uh, was running that group and basically was it became too much and still love those guys to death and left and then once again was like all right maybe i need to look at something else and an opportunity with a dear friend and now partner um, a guy named fabio viviani who a lot of people know um we met talked it out decided to do a restaurant and that's how austria was formed but still using the same ethos of making sure we're using uh, oklahoma to because italian food is a um it's a philosophy. So to me, it's really odd of spending time in Italy. They're never going to import olive oil from three, 4,000 miles away across an ocean. So it was always odd to me that when I would see Italian restaurants here is they're like, we use all these Italian products. And it's like, well, no one in Italy would ever use American products. They would use what they have around them. And it's the philosophy of Italian cuisine. Okay. Now you use those vehicles, those vehicles being pasta and pizza, pizza and things that people know to highlight those ingredients. So that's what we want to do with Austria and what we did. And then, um, so we started that. That's a Nicholas Plaza. And then Bar Chiquetti came along, which is Chiquetti is kind of a style of dining. It's almost like potluck kind of style of dining. Okay. And so we loved what the word Chiquetti meant, um, specifically the Mediterranean culture. So it's first and foremost kind of a you know a cocktail bar, a great place to hang out, a beautiful space. Um, A-Line Design did the interior design. HMM did the architecture, and it's it's gorgeous. And so we wanted it to be more downtown, urban, super fun. So it focuses more on a lot of appetizers and small plates and using because to me like bar chiquetti is almost like the band queen you can do whatever you want and that's why we <laughs> use that word chiquetti so you don't 
sometimes people ask about, they talk about concepts, which is really weird because that didn't exist when I started cooking. So now everyone's like, what's the concept? What's the concept? It's like, I don't know. It's a restaurant. We make food. So I didn't want to get pigeonholed. Yeah. Um, so that's how I went to So okay. it's fun. And then I2U, which is really is more of a passion project. It's not really a restaurant. Um, full name is I2 Culinary Solutions. And what we do is uh, myself, my partner Carlos, and our partner Brent Wilson. And together, um, and Dr. Steven Sands, we came up with basically using almost our tagline, food is medicine. So using all this great quality of product that we get from here in Oklahoma to counteract some of the issues that we face in Oklahoma. One of those big ones being obesity, mm-hmm. heart, diabetes, and the things that come from that. And a lot of it comes from diet. So we used this method of how we live to start to try to attack those things. So we started I2 Culinary Systems about a year ago. We service multiple hospitals now and have an ever-growing list of clients that basically use our program for whatever. Some are using it to be able to qualify for surgery mm-hmm. because their A1Cs are too high or they're overweight. And then some people use it to stay in shape because we also offer physical training as well. And that one, like I said, is more of a passion project, but it's really, I think, hope, helping to attack a really big issue that we have, not only in Oklahoma, but U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, as a whole. So we started that out and it's gone uh, really, really well. We have a lot of people with type 2 diabetes, which is onset it's not genetic, and we've reversed a lot of it. Got people a lot off their meds. Brent is an amazing dude. He's got an amazing story. Um, he was 320 pounds. Now he looks like an Abercrombie model. Wow. So uh, it's true if he's listening, he's probably laughing. But um, <laughs> but he did it with diet and exercise. So mm-hmm. that there is an answer to that, but it is a lifestyle change, and that's kind of been one of the our barriers that we're working on. But and now working with certain state uh, programs to help get that more, make it more accessible to people. Wow. I, yeah, yeah. I was looking at that website. It's really cool. It's like a, I, I don't want to tell me if I'm saying this wrong, but like a private caterer that comes to you and you, they tell you their health issues and then you help provide them with the meal. Like, do you make the meals and deliver to them or do yes. you give them the ingredients? Nope. So we make it, we deliver wow. to them. So basically if you look at a lot of different diets, so, you know, Aikens used to be really big, Atkins mm-hmm. diet. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Hey, everybody, if you do this, you're going to be healthy. Well, the human body is literally the most complex machine that exists. So to say that this one thing works mm-hmm. for all those doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both probably put different gas or motor oil in our car. Mm-hmm. Why would you put the same thing in your body? So mm-hmm. what we do when you come in, you actually meet with Brent first. He does a full lab workout. And we look at your goals and your physical makeup and then work with your levels specifically, design the meals around that specifically to get you where you need to go. Because some people will say, um, keto. Well, if you have low blood pressure, keto is a horrible, mm-hmm. you know, something for you to use, which is okay. There's nothing on keto. Keto is great things for people. So, but we need to take you more in this direction or more in that direction. And we mm-hmm. do that and then build the physical program around them as well. That's such a great concept. I mean, it's like you said, it's not really a restaurant, but no, I mean, it's is. using our knowledge of food in the yeah. body and how it works and, yeah. and helping uh, people. Yeah. I mean, a collection of uh, a, a great collection, not myself, but other people that have, yeah. are much more uh, smarter on these things yeah. than I am. I just cook. And the farm you mentioned, it's in Arcadia and 
to, yeah, I, I, I failed to mention this at the beginning. We're in the middle of an ice storm right. in Guthrie, America today. So we're very thankful that we have power, but we have no internet and no phone service. So no. I, I had all these answers written down, and I can, but I can't access them. So the name of the farm is? Uh, the name of the farm is Dominica Farms. Okay. So I Dom- was thinking Dominican something. Yeah, no, okay. Dominica Farms, which is Sunday in Latin. So that is owned by uh, Dr. Christopher Berry and his wife, Robin. And they're dear, dear friends, more like family to us. And when all this started, COVID, not the ice storm, uh, when, <laughs> when COVID started, um, in essence, kind of somewhat out of work uh, for a period of time, and then we'll, we can get into that. But we decided to. There was a small garden. I don't know how many acres they have. It's a lot, um, and we just kind of started growing this produce garden to go against shortages from COVID as well as price gouging. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, okay, how do we get away from that? So we started. We both met a farm, so we started farming, and then incorporated that into the restaurants more into ITU. And they also have um, it's called Nishiobi Beef which is um, one of, if not the only, but I'm not going to say the only because I don't know, but um, full grass-fed Akaushi beef programs in the United States. And that's, uh, Robin leads that up out there. So it's also a working ranch. Hmm. And we just took our first cattle to uh, to be processed a week ago. That's been about two years worth of work, really dialing right. in the diets. And, and that's all, Robin. Um, and then once that beef's ready, we'll have that in all the restaurants as well. And it's, we're really excited. We haven't gotten any yet, so we'll hey, see. Well, I'm sure that it's great because, I mean, if you feed them the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people, um, grass for people, it's a different flavor. A lot of people have grown up on, um, especially in the central U.S., they, um, you know, feedlot cattle. And just, I mean, it serves its purpose. I'm not going to sit here and, and knock it. It serves a purpose, but it's kind of gotten further and further and further away from, you know, mm-hmm. feeding like spent candy to cattle. So mm-hmm. that goes in your body. Yeah. What you are is what you eat, and there's we now know more than ever that's more true, and mm-hmm. so we just care. So it's a it, you know it's grass fed beef, so it has a different flavor, but Akaushi tends to be a higher fat cattle, similar to Wagyu, and so with the combination of the two, hopefully we'll get where we're trying to go. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And then we do and then and then we've been doing dinners out there as well because it's just fun. Yeah, I saw yeah. some pictures out there of the outside yeah. seating, the big tables. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's we, nice. Yeah, still in developing that even further. Okay, because you have so much time on your hands. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have time <laughs> need on my nine hands, days a week. So we had this discussion. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you personally, like mm-hmm. 90 second snapshot or you can take longer if you want. That's fine. But tell us about you. I mean, you gave us a little glimpse of school. Are you married or do you have kids? Yeah. I'm married yeah. to my wife, Kristen. We got two kids. Our daughter, Ren is seven. Our son, Kipling is four. Kipling, I, like I, that. I think of all roles that I play because we all play tons of different roles um, at any moment. They kind of change, but um, you know, being a father and husband is by far first and foremost. So with all this stuff, it's always trying to find that balance. And, you know, there's no, I, in my life, there's no way to find a balance in time, you know, two hours here, two hours there. Like it doesn't make any sense. So it's more about presence in terms mm-hmm. of just being where I am when I'm there, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm with my children, I'm with my children, when mm-hmm. I'm at, when I'm making pasta, I'm making pasta. When we're, I don't know, doing spreadsheets, I'm doing <laughs> spreadsheets. Cause those are exciting, right? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes they're gut wrenching. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a and, I, and I am an epic procrastinator on that stuff. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, I, I feel you on that. Yeah. So, what's been your personal uh, COVID pivot? I, I know that's a, that's a loaded question for a, for a restaurateur because you had to pivot everything, but personally. Uh, or did I, you have to change much? Personally, no. I think, you know, there was, 
there was obviously a sense of fear in the beginning just because who knows, you know, uncertainty on what is this virus, what's it going to do to the businesses and all that stuff. And the only thing that I can do is try to do the best I can on that day and try to move forward a little bit. Is it going to be 100% every day? Mm-hmm. No, it might be 70%. But if it's 70%, have it be 70%. And um, I'm grateful that my whole life um, I've had to deal with change in some way, shape, and or form, whether it's changing schools and moving and different countries and not knowing language or whatever it was. Um, so I'm comfortable in that um, scenario. And I also like, uh, this might sound weird to people, but... I also like when there's a lot of energy and uh, around, positive or negative. It it, it kind of you know, kind of feeds the soul a little bit. So when things are ramped up, good or bad, it's kind of time to react. And it's just kind of been something that I've enjoyed. I think, um, you know, I mentioned it being in someone who was you know dealt with alcohol and addiction. You're you're constantly almost creating drama, creating dopamine drip and your or serotonin release in your body. So to have it not do it chemically but to actually see it in the world and the ability to respond in that atmosphere i enjoy it's um it's like when you cook on a line you know it's busy and you got to go fast 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 and it's almost like the speed during service in the kitchen i feel like the world kind of becomes up to where this brain of mine you know when i let it have control uh goes so you know i think the biggest thing too to learn from covid which i think i always i always knew intellectually um you know, that we don't have control, you know, I mean, I can't, I can get in the shower thinking I'm gonna have a great day. And next thing I know, I'm like ready to burn <laughs> something down. I'm like, what happened? I was just washing my hair. Um, like, where did my mind go? Um, but it just puts it at the forefront. Like, you know, we're not in control mm-hmm. and all you can do is, uh, try to anticipate the best you can and react the best you can. And COVID just put that at the forefront, I think for earth, you know, Absolutely. not just myself. Yeah. I've always said that, well, not always, probably since I've been a parent, the control is an illusion. Because my, oh, li- yeah. my little people are not robots. I can't program them or hit a mute button or rewind. Yeah, <laughs> well, know? I think for me, every time I put expectations on anything, whether it's a, a some sort of outcome, how I think someone should act, whatever it might be, I'm just setting myself up to be let down. Because mm-hmm. a lot of time those are expect- those expectations are inside my own head. Yes. You know, like they're not even like real. Yeah. Like I haven't expressed them. Yes. And then I get upset. I'm like, what? That makes no sense. It makes no sense. It's, it's just part of being human. So <laughs> we is. make no sense. So, it is. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I kind of fall with all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you t- touched on this a little bit. Your favorite thing to cook is seafood. Yes. But what's your f- very favorite thing? And, wh- and how did you fall in love with that? Uh, I just, uh, you know, um, I don't know how seafood became my thing. And, of course, living in Oklahoma, you, I would question that, too, for yeah, a lot of reasons. You're, you're landlocked. Yeah, I love catfish um, and turtle and all that stuff. But, um, you know, it's it's really, I think for me, a lot of my memories around food have guided how I feel about different things. So, like, I'll never forget the first time um, visiting my grandmother and step-grandfather in a little town called Brookings, Oregon. And we went out on the ocean. God, I was like eight or nine, I don't remember, and caught a lingcod and cooked it up right there and I loved it. I love, uh, I love visiting fish towns. I, there's just something about small port towns that I just always enjoyed. I, there's like a romanticism there in is. my mind to them. I, I picture pirates. Yeah, I love pirates. <laughs> um, love. I spend a lot of time in the Caribbean. Uh, yeah. Love pirates, but um, 
I don't know. I just, I love the ocean, um, the calming effect of it. Um, we've got a great relationship with Santa Barbara Fish Company, which we use now for most because it's all domestic fishermen and all rod and reel. So it's ethically handled and ethically caught. And I, I mean, it's in Santa Barbara, so I don't mind going out there. But yeah. I just, I don't know. I love the culture around fishermen. I've spent a lot of time on Long Island. I've always loved those guys. There's just something about it um, that I've always enjoyed. So. I don't know, and there's the memories associated with yeah. it as well. Yeah. Or so what's favorable. your? Sorry. No. What's your favorite dish then to make? Your favorite of all of them. <laughs> I, Pretty hard. That, the hardest part about that question is to me, what I want to eat is totally based on mood in yeah. a way. So like right now, it's cold and horrible outside. Mm-hmm. But if it was same exactly we're sitting here today, and it was warm or hot, it's going to change what yeah. I want to eat. So yeah. it's very much an in the moment thing and. And also, with all the knowledge we've learned from ITU, it's also learning to read my body. Like, what mm-hmm. should I be eating right now? Do I need protein? What do I need? Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. It's really hard to say a favorite dish. I would say I love sea creatures, okay. like sea urchin and scallops and oysters and all those little things from the bottom um, that aren't really hot, that are low in the food chain. Because the higher up you go in the food chain, the more muddle of flavor and especially with the way the oceans are being handled um, mm-hmm. or toxins and things like that or parasites. So I tend to like the smaller, lower food chain stuff and it's hard to cook. That's the thing with seafood. There's depending on what you're cooking or the dish. Um, it's when it's done right and just seasoned, it's one of the best things to me that you can have kind of like a steak, like mm. really good beef just needs salt and pepper. Yeah. You know, it doesn't need marinades and sauces and all this stuff. Yeah. So I like the, I think in simplicity is like some of the most beautiful things in life are the most simplest things, but they're also the most difficult to do Mm. because when it comes to cooking, let's say you have a dish. I don't know. I'm thinking of a dish I ate recently at a restaurant. It was like mashed potatoes and a sauce and then there was fish and there was other vegetable. There's just all this stuff on the plate. It was a lot of food, which I don't prefer to eat that way. And I was like, this is an easy dish to make good not necessarily great but good because there's so many places to hide the mistakes mm. whereas a piece of fish cooked on a wood fire with salt and pepper you have seconds you know on either end where it's undercooked or overcooked and not right so and all you have is that piece of fish so yeah. you have to source the best you have to really dial in your technique on how to, how to handle that exact species and then execute and that's what i like about it you are, my goodness, you have to have a huge knowledge base of everything that you cook to be able to know those things. Well, I'm, I'm a chef. <laughs> so yeah. as a chef, you should. Yeah, absolutely. Um, every chef that I worked under was very, very intimate about knowledge and learning and learning and learning and learning. And so for the past, oh God, 20 or more years, I mean, that's what I've been doing mm-hmm. and constantly learning and traveling different places around the world and working with other chefs and trying to learn as much as I can, um, try to get better. There's still, I might know 1%. I don't even know how much I know. I mean, that's, you know, about, there's so many different cultures and cuisines. Um, I know what I enjoy and like to cook and, and it's odd because in Oklahoma, there's only like, I have a really, really strong background in, uh, Southeast Asian cuisine. Never been there. So that's, I need to (laughs) preface it with that, but in cooking in those, those restaurants, um, on a very high level, um in different countries so i can do it but it doesn't necessarily translate in oklahoma you know i grew up here like most people that grew up here chinese food is sweet and sour chicken um you know pad thai is this like thick 
saucy thing. I don't know how to describe it that I've had here where the, the dish, how I learned how to make those are very different. So it's hard to change you know, people. So we, yeah. Yeah. I right. mean, if somebody's used to it being made a certain way, right. You know, and then you open a restaurant and say, well, this is how it's supposed to be. Well, that doesn't necessarily translate. To yeah. Like I would, <laughs> I mean, selfishly, I would love to try to open a restaurant, excuse me, that would be, um, which could, regardless of receiving it or not, that would be like a Michelin star restaurant, which is kind of like the, one of the pinnacles. There's debate on that, but, um, on restaurant ratings, but those are, you know, generally speaking, it's a very expensive restaurant. That's mm-hmm. why you only see those restaurants in New York city, San Francisco, where the demogra- demographics will support them. It's yeah. really, it would be really hard to get people to spend, you know, hell 40, 50 people a night to spend $200 on a meal wow. here, Yeah, you know, so it's, you have to adjust. Yeah. That's not probably going to happen. <laughs> probably not going to happen. Not, not right now. Not Maybe. never. You never know. Yeah. You never know. So, so what was the most unique chef you trained under? The most unique chef. Or who scared you? Uh, all of them scared me. All of them scared me. There's a different time. There's a different time. Um, you were allowed to yell and scream and throw stuff back then. Um, okay. No, I would, I'll say the most interesting chef that I've worked with um, was in Belgium. And he, uh, his, um, Gert Vondelier is his name. And he had a restaurant. I'm blanking it right now. No, I have to coop. It wasn't, it was, the Coops in South Africa. Uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was, oh no, it was phenomenal because they actually, not only did they have a farm at their restaurant, which was an old 14th century um, barn and main house, because you have that in Belgium. Yeah, you do. Um, they were, their farming program was what was so amazing to me because they weren't, they were doing their own cross hybriding in their farm. So, in, through cross-pollination so naturally changing things and then growing them and incorporating them in the restaurant was I never knew the level you could go to um so that was incredibly eye-opening and then the restaurant it was a Michelin three-star restaurant I think before he closed because the way the way things are now um I think he was like 17th in the world wow so it was really good and then another guy I find very inspirational is um his name is Koba Vandermeer and he's actually in South Africa and we worked together in an event in Europe and he uh, specifically deals with the wild coast of Africa mm-hmm. and foraging and harvesting by hand um, all the creatures from where they're around. It's a, it's a very, what I love about what he does, it's a very specific place and a very specific time to find through cuisine. Hmm. And I love that about what he does. Hmm. So, and then there's a guy, Mingo Kang, who's in Seoul in South Korea, who opened my eyes to the possibilities of what you can do with Korean cuisine and I don't do it, but it's just one of the, it's inspiring Yeah. more than anything. But I think of all the chefs I worked with was a guy named uh, Paul Wade who made his name at the Little Nell in Aspen years ago. And then I was, I've been in Sucha twice and the time we were cooking in Oregon together was, um, I always call him like the Buddha of the kitchen. Like he was a Hmm. very fierce and intimidating man, but like one of the most gentle people I ever knew. Mm -hmm. And he taught me a lot, just Mm -hmm. not only how to, not only how to cook, obviously, but how to become a chef and how to handle people the right way and how to respect ingredients in the right way. Hmm. Yeah. I spent some time in South Africa and I had, Oh, really? Yeah, I had, uh, I've been to Africa a couple times, but we Jealous. had, I, yeah, I, I love Africa, it's one of my favorite places, but we had uh, alligator in South Africa and then we had um, octopus in Mozambique and we were literally on the beach eating the octopus and they're just 
Yeah. Bring, I mean, that's just what they do. They just bring yeah. it in. It's just right there. So. Yeah, he's located in a small town called Paternoster, which is on the west coast. Okay. Somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, we, I was actually going to be, would have been there in May, mm. but, you know. Everything changed. Everything changed. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Can't drive there. No, you can't. And they won't, I don't think they'll let us there right now anyway. Uh, yeah. I don't Are they closed? They might, are they like I think they're closed them? to us. They're, okay. Yeah. Yeah. America, yeah. we need to. We got some things to figure we out. We do, we do. So tell me something about each one of your places um, that you, is like your favorite dish that you serve there or an aspect about it or what makes yeah. it like. Because you have a wide variety of things. Right? Yeah. The Osteria, they, I mean, it's Italian, but you also have breakfast menus. Yeah, I was looking, brunch. isn't that, don't you have tiramisu French toast? Yes, on oh a brunch gosh, menu. That's yeah. just, you're it's, speaking my language. Right very now. indulgent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. So you're making my uh, mouth water. I would say, like, my favorite thing about, I can do this really quickly. My favorite thing about Osteria is our pasta program. Okay. Um, the way we, everything is, we make every single pasta we have. Um Barchetti, the ambiance and the feel of the place, and what we've created with that is probably my favorite part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just just such a cool place to hang out. And then ITU, the mission. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, with Prairie Wolf, it's what's next is what I'm most excited about yeah. right now. Yeah. And you ask me in a week, and that might change for, for everything. <laughs> Spreadsheets. <but> yeah, that <laughs> might change for everything. So, but that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about. Prairie Wolf. Yeah. So why in the world did Prairie Wolf start? And first, I'm a Guthrie girl, so thank you for choosing yeah. Guthrie America. And thank you for staying. Because I know it wasn't an easy road to get your buildings and yeah, so working on the easements and all those fun things. Yeah, so a lot of that was done by the you know by the Merritt family. So a group of us acquired that distillery um, in February of 2018. Um, they had done a great job, and they're ready for bigger and better things in another industry. And so we saw the opportunity and came up to Guthrie. Yeah, we've had plenty of developers and people come to us wanting to move it, and I love it up here. So, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, I've always loved small towns. It's mm-hmm. my favorite thing. So we live in one. So um, that's what we did. We kept it here, and um, honestly, had no idea what we were doing. When we started. <laughs> Thought it was a lot easier than it is. Turns out, uh, much more complicated. Which is, you know, it's you gotta learn. There's only one way to learn. Yeah. That I thought that works for me anyway. Yeah. Um, so made a lot of mistakes, to be completely honest, in the beginning. And, um, we, you know, we were kind of, we were doing well. Uh, not, I wouldn't say great, but we were doing well. We were getting by. And then uh, and then COVID happened. I don't know how else to explain it. And obviously, we pivoted into doing sanitizer very early. Um, and the community support was insane um, on that stuff. And so every time... I think when you have an opportunity, this is just for myself, um, when you find success, it's it's not real success unless you give it away. I mm-hmm. think that's kind of, and that's yeah. something I had to learn throughout life, But and that's in anything for myself. But it's, um, if other people don't grow along with you, I don't, I find more joy in seeing other people become successful, whatever that is, however you want to define it, um, than, you know, my own, I guess, is a way of putting it. And so... That's what the sanitizer allowed us to do. I think we donated over 27,000 gallons mm. uh, through a program called ERAP, which is headed up by Doug White for first responders and all across the state of Oklahoma. And then we secured some large uh, federal government contracts for the sanitizer, which really allowed the business to, to grow substantially. And so um, with the capital that we received from that, once again, we had the opportunity. You can put it in your pocket, and that's that, and go back to doing the way things were. But we've decided to double down, 
uh, as you're probably aware, we've acquired some more buildings and brought the buildings to a historical code. <laughs> it didn't, it was kind of an eyesore and, uh, it yeah, it was, it's, it was bad, but so we, um, changed that and beautified it and there's more stuff coming. We're acquiring another building with growth. So it's really set us up to do something really special. And one of the most important things for us, I say us, but more than what the guys in Prayable are working on is everything I just said about def defining a sense of space, not we do it with food. Now we want to do it with spirits. So when we acquired the distillery, a lot of stuff um, wasn't being made in house, which is common. It's very common in the industry is to buy something and then cut it basically with water or age it again. So um, we've moved, um, this capital has given us the ability to move everything in house. And so hopefully no longer than three to six months, you're going to start seeing, we'll still have the, some of the same stuff. We'll still have the vodka, we'll have a gin, um, but they're different. And, uh, I would like to believe, and I hope everyone else does eventually that they're uh, considerably better, uh, than what we've done. So like for the gin, for example, it's going to be all Oklahoma wild botanicals. So. Um, there was a woman named Jackie Dill who passed away a couple years ago, um, unfortunately, who was a huge mentor of mine when it came to understanding wild, um, wild edibles and medicinals in Oklahoma. And I used to go out to coil with her all the time and just walk and learn about her crazy life. Which was, she was just an amazing spirit and mm -hmm. she taught me so much. And so now I have an opportunity to use that, um, knowledge with spirits. So. I basically do my part, which is kind of consulting to go find this stuff, harvest it, and then we bring it back in and the guys do their, do their stuff. Work their magic. Do their science. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The dark wolf. I love the dark wolf. I, I know the say. dark might be going away, but coming Jonathan. back, but coming back Jonathan. even better. Okay. As okay. is. So everything as is. Yeah. Is going mm -hmm. the re-release is okay. That's okay. It's I'm okay. Really good. I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, yeah. so you talked a little bit about the hand sanitizer, yeah, which is sure. amazing. And during COVID, something that you did in a way that you gave back to your community because I want to hear more about sure. your different ways and your different companies and how you do that. But one of the ways during COVID was clearly restaurants were shut down for quite a while. And yep. I know that to keep your employees paid, you brought your restaurant employees up to yeah. Prairie Wolf to help with the hand sanitizer. Yeah. So we were, the way all these businesses went together were awkwardly set up well for a pandemic. <laughs> Obviously that was not planned. It was just kind of like, I think we got this. Yeah. Um, so Osteria continued uh, a successful um, to-go delivery program. That's what we were allowed to do. Bartrichetti being downtown was harder hit. And so we temporarily closed it which means people don't have a job, but because of the influx of sanitizer demand, we were actually able to, for those who wanted to, um, we, they weren't required and mm -hmm. asked, yeah. um, came up to Guthrie and started helping with that production as well. So they were able to continue work through the whole thing. So um, we were able to retain, um, for those who stayed, um, all of our employees at all of our businesses, which is something we're pretty proud of. That, you should be. That's a yeah. huge deal because, I mean, clearly the restaurant industry was hit. I mean, I don't it's still hit. into the choir. Yeah, I mean, the restaurant industry for now and forever has changed regardless of, you know, I, which is fine. I mean, that things change. They're supposed to. Um, it just changed more quickly and dramatically than I think anyone ever would have assumed. Mm -hmm. So you just, you just kind of roll with it, mm -hmm. you know, and reposition and reset up how you operate and what you offer and how you do things uh, to be prepared for a, a long-term thing. I mean, regardless of whatever state someone's in and how much you're closed down or not, obviously we're more open here in Oklahoma. 
um, pro and con, obviously, to mm-hmm. that. Um, it's it's going to be different. So you it's this is going to be on people's minds. I believe I'm not a, sorry, I don't, I'm not a doctor, but <laughs> I believe it's going to be on the forefront of people's minds for a long time. So how we interact, how often we're together, and how often we go out, and all that. So you have to find ways to still access your customer base outside of just the standard model. Mm-hmm. I think restaurants and education has probably been the things that that have changed and this is just off the top of my head the most Mm -hmm. and forever yeah you know it's it's gonna just have to be this way yeah i think i mean i think a lot of companies if you know you always thought uh you had to have some big if you're a big company you have some big shiny building to let people know how big you were yeah and people are working just fine from home absolutely Um, education is a different thing my wife's a speech pathologist and works with Mm -hmm. special needs students in edmund um which their whole thing has completely changed so mm-hmm. it, it, it does fall a lot on the parents now which yeah. parents shouldn't you know take a you know take a role there mm-hmm. but um i think it's different i mean i think you look at i've this is only the limited 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 experience i have but friends that have um older kids that are in college and how that's being changed yeah. is you know yeah. do we need to pay that amount and all that stuff but my kids are seven and four so it'll all be completely different by then <laughs> anyway be, yeah. yeah we'll deal with that when we come sure. to it. Yeah, moving yeah. into college this year was very different. I've oh, I'm sure. That they, you know, it's usually that big fun party. Everybody's out front, and parents didn't even get to go in the dorms. And oh, he's writing tickets. If you don't have your mask, you get a fifteen dollars really? ticket. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Which you know, you got to be safe. Just yeah. Follow the rules. Yeah. College students aren't exactly known for following the rules. Anyway. Once again, in my experience, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah, no, that's not it. Well, I love how the employees came up to work. Like you said, you needed the help because if you were in Guthrie during early shutdown when Prairie Wolf was making the hand sanitizer, there was lines miles. Yeah. Miles into town. People, I mean, you guys were clearly inundated. Yeah. It was such a cool thing. I'll never forget the first day that we opened to sell the sanitizer to the public at the distillery. Uh, we were inside just all bottling and putting labels, whatever we could do as fast as we could do it. And I asked, I was like, hey, has anyone shown up? Uh, and we're like, have you been outside? And I was like, no. And I walked outside and there's just this, yes. you know, the Guthrie police are awesome. They've always yeah. been awesome with us, but they've, uh, <laughs> they were helping guide the traffic as it was wrapping around blocks. And it I was, was like, oh, oh yeah, we need more sanitizer. <laughs> we're going to need to get better at this Can really quick. This up? <laughs> yeah. So that was one of the hardest things is, you know, if you would have asked me about manufacturing anything in the first week of March, I'd have been like, I don't, I don't know. And I still didn't know. None of us knew. So we, once again, you know, we made a lot of mistakes and we stubbed our toes and just kind of grinded through it and mm-hmm. figured it out, mm-hmm. you know. And, then, you know, one day I'm making, you know, pasta and a couple of weeks later I'm <laughs> negotiating with different companies, you know, at my house with, with literally a production company in Taiwan trying to get supplies. And I'm like, I shouldn't. I don't know. I don't think I know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. I know, I'm just going <laughs> to say these words and hope someone... <laughs> this works. And hope they're right. Yes. I talked to yeah. Eric. Eric's a partner, right? Yes. Okay. I talked to Eric one of the one day during the middle of it, and he was like, we just ordered a million bottles. Like, that's crazy. And, yeah, and it wasn't near enough. Isn't that out. crazy? Yeah. I was... And what was also really hard about that, what a lot of people... What's also still affecting businesses is, you know, a lot of restaurants, all sorts of companies work on terms. Mm-hmm. So for a long period, and still with some companies, that disappeared because everyone needs, needed cash now. Yeah. And so we're like, how much does that cost? 
<laughs> do we have any do we have any money yeah. so like we were literally all of us maxing out our own credit cards and putting in money just to get stuff here wow yeah and really hoping it worked out yeah wow because uh, my wife never saw our Amex bill but <laughs> Jesus I didn't know my limit was that high I was like oh that's where it caps out like, okay thank you I learned where that caps that's out so funny okay <laughs> Well, thank you for giving back to your communities. Yeah, we, and, and we're not, you know, and keeping people employed. Yeah, we're not done. I mean, you know, we we had, we, you know, we have plans to do more events. Obviously, we'll kind of wait on that. We did the the cruise, and you know, we we you know, some of us live here, all of us work here, and you know, I I've always loved Guthrie. I think, you know, it's one of those. I recently had a friend who's an entrepreneur in Denver, a very successful young dude. Um, was just didn't understand he's like if if a town like this in particular relating to guthrie was this close to denver you you would need millions to buy buildings and do all that so i think it's uh Mm -hmm. selfishly stays a little hidden for a little bit but as development grows north i this is my own opinion um i think development for oklahoma city admin has gone really far west i think the eastern part is prettier it's my own personal opinion Mm -hmm. um and Guthrie is a beautiful, unique Victorian town. And I think it's only a matter of time before things come up here. So we have no plans on going anywhere and want to be a part in helping that growth. And hopefully with the growth of our company, it brings the word not only about Guthrie, but what Guthrie stands for, in my opinion. And I think Guthrie is this hidden alcove of unique ideas, community, which I believe is more important than it's ever been. And, you know, I with COVID, you can't travel that many places. And there's just something really cool about coming up division into historic Guthrie. And it's a, it's like being in a totally different place in time. It and it's, I find it inspirational and it's, mm-hmm. it's cool. So, yeah, we used to live, we, when we first moved here from Colorado, we lived in Oklahoma city and mm-hmm. we moved to Edmond and we came up to Guthrie for an event and we're, we're standing at this parade and I'm looking at these uh, brick streets and just all the people and I fell in love. And yeah, we ended up moving up here because it's just so unique. It's so cool. It it's is. so cool. So, I don't know. It's it's one of those things like I, you know, Guthrie has its challenges. Every oh, yeah. every place where there's human beings has a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different opinions, different ideas, different yeah. philosophies, and you know, we're not not trying to make waves or get into any of that. We're just trying to do something to make this place fun and help spawn creativity and entrepreneurship in any way that we can. Well, you guys have only brought goodness, so thank you well, thank for doing you. that. Yeah. And thanks Hope for so. doing the cruise. Uh, Jonathan min- mentioned the cruise at Guthrie. Um, we have this thing in the summer. It's my favorite event. Just I know. I'm a summer I know. person. You love it. I do. I love it. But we have Red Brick Nights where we close down some of the streets, and we mm-hmm. have live music and pop-up shops and food trucks, and, and Prairie Wolf just jumped right in, and we had – Unfortunately, Byron Burline's building burned down, and that's where our location had been before. So we had to pivot across the street, and we basically parked in Prairie Wolf's front yard. Yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. were cool, and they gave us all the power. Yeah, yeah, you, you guys use our power. I know, but, but no, so thank you for that. Love that event, and we wanted to continue it, so we did the you know, drive-in theater so people stay in their cars or around their cars to yeah. keep it safe, and we plan on doing – we're working on another one for the spring, so a feeling awesome. this is going to hang around for that's a while. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun to do. It was the COVID version of yeah, Brick Nights COVID at the drive But it was fun. It was it super was. cool. It no, was we had live music. Cool. We had food. And yeah. then you played Grease, which was awesome. Yeah, there happens to be an amazing historic drive-in theater oh in town. And it's and clean. Then, yeah. And it's, I, 
I love the drive-in. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, it's so cool. I know. That's awesome. So it only took a pandemic for people to realize it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And they played old movies all summer. So yeah. how cool was that? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, that you could come up here and see Smoking the Bandit. I mean, that was just, yeah. that was hilarious. So, okay, Jonathan, give me your 30-second shout-out, your call to action, your motivational statement. What do you want to leave people with today? That was a big question. Yeah, sorry. What? <laughs> how would you turn someone? Um <laughs> No, I think the biggest thing for a call to action, especially now these days, is, you know, dive into your community and give people, businesses, anything grace Mm -hmm. right now. I mean, we all need our, I know I need it for myself almost every day, or at least try. And, you know, people are still trying to figure this thing out. It's going to be a while. And that's on a personal level. That's on a business level. That's on an education level, as I mentioned, is... But just giving that sense of grace to mm-hmm. someone or a company or whatever it might be, not only should will go a long way for them, but it will go a long way for, in my experience, goes a long way for myself as well. I mean, how many times is, you know, someone cut you off and you get all pissed off and mm-hmm. what if they're on their way to the hospital? You have no idea. So right. if you can just uh, give yourself, I say for myself and other people, grace right now is probably the biggest thing. And you got to get through it together. You're right. You're right. Well, well, you'd never have too much grace. Yeah, exactly. Grace is good. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. It was fun. Listeners, thank you for joining us again for another conversation around good. We, uh, our goal is to drop them every Friday. It doesn't always happen, but you can give us grace, right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. (laughs) And we can replay Jonathan's for you. So again, thank you for joining us at Made Possible by We Love to Make Good Loud. Thank you for listening in to another episode of the Made Possible by podcast. Made Possible by helps make community giving easy. The businesses we serve love to give back to their communities with their time, product, and cash. It's rewarding, but not easy. So let us help you continue to do good in your community. Thank you for listening in on another conversation around good. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button so we can continue to provide you conversations that are inspirational the businesses we serve love to give back to their communities with their time product and cash and this is so rewarding for them but it's not easy go to madepossibleby.us to see how we do it welcome to the made possible by podcast where we have conversations around good with community-minded individuals. We hope that today's episode inspires you to go out and do good. Welcome to the Made Possible by Podcast, where we have conversations around good with community-minded individuals. We hope that today's episode inspires you to go out and do good.